In a recent interview with The Block, Rowan Gray, a legal scholar who helped work on the bill, was asked if the bill was covering a scope much too large for the size of the current $25 billion stablecoin market. Hey everyone, welcome to the Crypto Unstacked podcast. I'm your host, Leslie Lamb. Wherever you are, whoever you are, crypto skeptic, half believer, or enthusiast, it's really great to have you tuning in to Crypto Unstacked, where we bring you a cup of crypto every week and unstack everything from crypto finance to global macroeconomics. 10 things you need to know about the Stable Act. Number one, what is the Stable Act? Last week, Congresswoman Rashida Tlaib, along with Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia and Chairman of Task Force on Financial Technology Representative Stephen Lynch, introduced the Stablecoin Tethering and Bank Licensing Enforcement Act, which would theoretically protect consumers from the risks posed by emerging digital payment instruments, such as Facebook's proposed Libra Stablecoin project and other stablecoins currently offered in the market by regulating their issuance and related commercial activities. Number two, what does the bill define as a stablecoin? The term stablecoin means any cryptocurrency or other privately issued digital financial instrument that is directly or indirectly distributed to investors, financial institutions, or the general public. To quote Peter Van Valkenburg, director of Coin Center, this means any stablecoin irrespective of whether it is issued by a state-regulated trust company like Gemini Dollars, a consortium of state-licensed money transmitters like USDC, or by an Ethereum-based smart contract like DAI. They would all fall under the purview of this law should it be enacted in its current form. Number three, what exactly does the current version of the bill propose? Number one, any stablecoin issuer would need to obtain a federal banking charter. Number two, any issuer would have to be in full compliance and fulfillment of existing banking regulations. Number three, Stablecoin issuers would be required to obtain the approval of both the Federal Reserve and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, the FDIC, six months before issuance. And number four, stablecoin issuers or anyone issuing a stablecoin related product, which can literally be anyone who's integrating an existing stablecoin into their platform, would either need to obtain FDIC insurance or deposit dollar reserves directly at the Federal Reserve. Basically, the bill writes that it shall be unlawful for any person to issue a stablecoin other than an insured depository institution that is a member of the Federal Reserve System. The problem? Jumping through all these regulatory hoops is super costly. As the Forbes article put it, the complexity, cost, and time required to be in full compliance with these additional rules above and beyond the money transmitter and other state-specific legislation already being enforced could serve as a significant headwind to future stablecoin development. Number four, what does Jeremy Allaire, CEO of Circle, which is the issuer of the USDC stablecoin, have to say about the proposed legislation? He took to Twitter saying, the Stable Act would represent a huge step backwards for digital currency innovation in the United States, limiting the accelerating progress of both the blockchain and fintech industry. Our industry is delivering solutions that materially improve the speed, accessibility, and cost efficiency of payments and banking in the U.S. and around the world. Any act of Congress in this sphere should be focused on embracing, investing in, and supporting the incredible pace of innovation 
that is happening with stablecoins and blockchain infrastructure. Forcing crypto, fintech, and blockchain companies into the enormous regulatory burdens of Federal Reserve and FDIC regulation and supervision is inconsistent with the goals of supporting innovation in the fair and inclusive delivery of payments that comes from stablecoins. In a separate tweet thread, Jeremy said, As 2020 came around, the use cases for stablecoins started to explode. Payments and settlements, borrowing and lending, safe haven digital dollars, use in digital securities, trade finance, digital content and gaming, corporate treasury, and much, much more. He's absolutely right. The use cases for stablecoins have grown considerably beyond facilitating trading needs. It's on the basis of the new financial rails enabled by stablecoins that we have the types of crypto derivatives and lending markets we see today. Number five, what is the purpose of this bill? Basically, the bill was written with the intent to prevent abuse, opacity, and the potential rise of a stablecoin-based shadow banking system. The name shadow bank refers to financial businesses that aren't regulated in the same ways as conventional banks, such as hedge funds, asset managers like BlackRock and Vanguard, fintech companies like PayPal, and mortgage servicers, among others. The authors claim this act is for proper oversight of stablecoins in the name of protecting vulnerable consumers. In Rashida Tlaib's words, the purpose of introducing the bill is to get ahead of the curve on preventing cryptocurrency providers from repeating the crimes against low and moderate income residents of color that traditional big banks have in the past. But as Nick Carter, investor at Castle Island Ventures, pointed out in their recent coverage on this topic, how does it make sense to legislate innovative fintech and crypto companies in a way that would require them to come under the same regulatory framework that banks are supposedly bound to? The guys who are contributing to the very problem these Democratic representatives pinpoint and wish to prevent. And as someone that goes by the Twitter handle DKA218 put it, the problem? Banks mistreat people. Solution? Innovators build alternatives. Politicians force the alternatives to become banks. Consumer advocates have warned that there is potential for disparate impact. Predatory inclusion, digital redlining, and the color of surveillance. My immediate question after reading this was, where is the evidence that stablecoins are doing what they claim bad actors may use stablecoins for? You could say this bill was drawn up according to a bunch of unsubstantiated claims and hypotheticals, but that's just it. In a recent interview with The Block, Rowan Gray, a legal scholar who helped work on the bill, was asked if the bill was covering a scope much too large for the size of the current $25 billion stablecoin market, which is a fraction of the U.S. dollars in circulation. He responded saying that the bill was introduced to get ahead of the curve of such stablecoins posing systemic risks. We'll talk more about this in just a bit. Number six, what do bill advocates have to say on the role of tech companies assuming the role of a currency issuer? Americans for Financial Reform Policy Director Marcus Stanley said, Tech companies are promoting unregulated stablecoins that compete with the U.S. dollar and regulated banks by promising customers they can't lose money on their investments. These stablecoins are insured deposits in all but name. The Stable Act would bring an end to this evasion by ensuring that companies that guarantee customer deposits are properly regulated as insured depository banks. Clearly, the bill is aiming squarely at Facebook's Libra 
now Diem, stablecoin project. There were concerns raised in the hearings by the House Financial Services Committee that Facebook has attempted to take advantage of the financial exclusion and gap in the market. As much as people vilify Facebook, though, I don't think Facebook's social mission to bank the unbanked is entirely a PR-induced one-liner. I think they're out to do some good with their stablecoin. The issue, rather, lies with the very fact that they have a big enough user base to make a meaningful impact, and that scares regulators. Again, regulators care about consumer protection. As Rowan describes, the risk with Libra's original business model was that they would issue a liability backed by a pool of assets. The safety and stability of the liability would ultimately depend on that pool of assets retaining a certain value. And no one could be sure that was going to be the case. Hence, the concern about systemic risks inherent to the stablecoin that would affect Facebook's 2 billion consumers and why financial regulators struggle to see how a stablecoin issued by a private entity is a good idea. Number seven, are stablecoins a tool of regulatory arbitrage? A fundamental regulatory difference between the regulated financial system and the crypto space in its current form is how users can interact with certain financial instruments. Taking a traditional money transmitter like PayPal, for example, all persons transacting USD on the platform are required to KYC. For a stablecoin such as USDC, once you KYC with the issuer and wire dollars to mint USDC, you are free to withdraw the USDC off-chain and send, transact, and use USDC as an ERC-20 token on the Ethereum network directly or on DeFi platforms, which don't require KYC as of right now. USDC is primarily being used in crypto for the purpose of convenience, meaning not relying on third-party banks for transfers between counterparties. Most of the time, sending USDC transactions is much faster and cheaper than wiring funds. Perhaps there are clear benefits for this particular use case, but as stablecoins gradually become a new vehicle for fiat currencies, regulators are becoming increasingly worried about the regulatory arbitrage and evasion opportunity stablecoins present to consumers. And actually, Rowan explains that it's not technically legal to create deposits without a banking license. The only reason why instruments like stablecoins exist today is because the definition of what a deposit is has been poorly written in existing law. Basically, the definition has not been updated and has left a loophole in today's financial regulation. Number eight, does this bill regulate decentralized networks? Rowan tweeted, for the record, I have said from the beginning that the aim isn't to criminalize all node operators. The aim is to regulate the issue of unlicensed deposits and banking activity. Immediately, some of the DeFi people jumped to, well, you can't possibly hope to stop stablecoins issued on decentralized networks because there is no one you can hold accountable. To which I responded that there are absolutely people that can be held accountable if need be, and that the veil of decentralization as certain networks are beyond the scope of regulation and law enforcement. But acknowledging that the technological architecture of a decentralized network does not exclude those involved in that network from possible liability is a long way from saying everyone is going to get pulled out of their bed by the police tomorrow. That's the kind of scaremongering that's great for fundraising, but ultimately naive as an understanding of what kinds of systemic risks need to actually be addressed. 
As he explained to Decrypt, the idea here is that even an instrument issued on a decentralized network, if it is trying to walk and talk like money, and therefore carries a systemic risk, it should be regulated like money. To get a more comprehensive view on this point, I would suggest you read Peter Van Valkenburg's post titled The Unintended Consequences of the Stable Act. Number nine, what are the systemic risks that the bill focuses on? Rowan believes that the systemic risk lies within the coin itself, specifically what it is promising and whether it can actually guarantee that promise under all circumstances. He claims that the only way to ensure that is to connect those institutions or those coins directly to the entity that can create money itself. He thinks that crypto will pose the same systemic risk that banks are vulnerable to if not properly regulated. According to the Decrypt article, Rowan believes that as crypto companies become larger, they aren't necessarily different from the big financial institutions they're trying to supplant. The more money involved, the more that risk gets transferred from individual consumers and grafted onto the larger financial system. He says, that's the hard lesson of banking history, which is that all kinds of actors have come up with business models or reasons why they believe their particular approach to asset collateralization and risk or whatever is unique or different, and therefore doesn't pose a systemic risk the way that others do, and historically, each of those has not been the case. When asked during his interview with The Block whether he thinks there is a level of decentralization that would preclude a stablecoin network to subscribe to the laws proposed by a bill, Rowan said, no, the risk is not only with a centralized counterparty, the risk is that the instrument promises something that only a monetary sovereign can guarantee. And number 10, will the Stable Act pass? Former legislative assistant for Representative Warren Davidson and author of the Token Taxonomy Act, Ron Hammond, tweeted, For those in the industry concerned about the Stable Act, know that the congressional legislative session ends in two weeks. It won't pass any time because it is a partisan bill, has no Senate companion, and there isn't enough time for a hearing, markup, or floor vote. That being said, this bill will come back next year, and there will be hearings on the matter likely given how there are numerous members of the Financial Services Committee as co-sponsors. Basically, although the bill is unlikely to pass in the current legislative session, it will be reintroduced during the next session, likely in much fuller force as staffers use this period to solicit feedback from people on the matter to reintroduce a revised version of the bill. And a final closing thought, what is the bill really about? Ultimately, I think this bill is a reflection of the ongoing power struggle between the U.S. government and private entities such as Facebook who are working on or plan to work on monetary innovation, specifically the issuance of currency, a function that has been for many decades within the domain and purview of the federal government and more recently the central bank. In a statement on Congresswoman Tlaib's website, Representative Lynch is quoted saying, We cannot outsource the issuance of American currency to private entities, and the Stable Act guarantees that our regulators will be able to effectively oversee the application of this new technology. I think it's about recognizing where this power is shifting to, and as the U.S. government recognizes this, they will try to do everything in their power to rein in possible threats in the name of financial stability and consumer protection. Forbes article I mentioned earlier ends on a rather kumbaya-ish note, stating, working with, collaborating with, and educating lawmakers and the business community at large are shaping up to be a central theme of 2021 for blockchain and crypto sector advocates. 
I'm sure we'll see some form of this, but not without some major disagreements from both sides. As Peter van Valkenburg says, laws should be limits on the power of the state as much as they are a limit on the freedoms of the people. If the end game of financial innovation is to increase financial inclusion, I'm not sure stifling the nexus of this innovation through a centuries-old bank charter is going to get us any closer to what unfortunately seems like a moving goalpost. These are the top 10 insights you need to know about the Stable Act. Do you have others? Tweet me at Les Lambo, L-E-S-L-A-M-B-0. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until next time, take care and stackers. As always, hope you enjoyed this week's Cup of Crypto. If you like what you heard, please share and subscribe on Spotify, Apple, Google, and anchor.fm slash crypto unstacked.